In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized... Immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Thanks, Tash, and good morning, everyone. Great to see you. And as it's been said a couple of times, we start this new teaching series this morning, King and Kingdom. Uh, On one hand, I'm excited to get going. Uh, This has been on the horizon for a long time now as we've sought what the Lord God wanted to say to us. Uh, So it's brilliant to finally get into the Gospel of Matthew. Um, But as I've been listening to the book of Matthew, Um, since the new year in a daily podcast. I know, look at me down with the kids, listening to podcasts and all. But I've been listening to Matthew on my podcast every morning. It's been brilliant. I advise uh, you to do it. It's great. But as I've been listening, once or twice, I've thought, oh dear, I'm going to have to preach on that bit uh, because there's some tough stuff here for us as well. But in God's strength, by the power of his Holy Spirit, we pray he will lead us Uh, through this uh, and we will grow and be blessed Uh, and as we've been praying this morning see Jesus more uh, in this series Uh, so I'm not going to spend a long time on introductions to the book of Matthew if that's your thing I can point you in the right direction pages and pages and books and books written all about it Uh, but like I said we've called this series King and Kingdom Uh, 
And that really, in its simplest form, is what Matthew's aim is in his gospel. is to tell us that the king has come. And to answer the question, but what then does his kingdom look like? And what we're thinking about today as we come uh, to chapter 3 is the first part of that. The announcement that the king has come. He's here. He's come. And we said a couple of times that we start this series today, but actually we really started it a few weeks ago in our Christmas celebration. See, because Matthew uses the first three chapters of his book, all we see here for this announcement. He is here. The king is here. And as we look at this this morning, I've got four S's for you for this announcement. Well, four and a half, but we'll get to that bit later. Four S's to start, though. The king is come, and who is he? Well, he is the seed. He is the saviour. He is the servant, and he is the son. He's the seed, the saviour, the servant, and the son. So before we dive into chapter 3, let's think back to what we have already thought about over this Christmas period. Well, you need to go back to our first to our family service, um, where we th- were thinking about the seed. Matthew doesn't start his book with angel declarations, but with a family tree. You can flick back a page in your Bible if you're there. Now, I said I didn't want to go into intros in a big way, but what we see here as Matthew starts his gospel is one of the clues of who Matthew has in mind when he's writing his gospel. He has in mind an early Jewish reader. We'll keep hearing throughout this gospel the phrase to fulfill what was said. Matthew wants his reader to see that everything that is happening is all part of God's big plan. All God's promise that has come throughout the Old Testament. And we see straight away that Matthew wants us to show us that this promised seed is the king. The promised one from the beginning that would make all things right. We see straight away that Matthew traces Jesus' family tree. He traces him back to Abraham to show that he is the fulfillment of the promise that through Abraham's family all nations of the earth would be blessed. But we also see that he traces him back to King David, to the royal line to the fulfillment of the promise that one from David's family would sit on the throne and rule forever. We saw that in chapter 2, where wise men come on account of prophetic words to worship the newborn king. It's what freaks out Herod, the promised king, who would come out of Bethlehem. He is the seed But he is also the saviour. We thought of that with the message to Joseph. Jesus is coming, the seed is coming, but he's coming for a reason. 121, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That is how he will put things right. This rebellion between God and people. Their sin. Their rejection of God. 
their rejection of his ways. The king is coming. He's the rescuer, a savior. And he's going to rescue their people, his people from their sin. He's the seed and he's the savior. But he's not a king who will lord it over others. He's not born to a palace. We have to think back to our carol service for this when we thought of the riches to rags story. He is the king who leaves the glory of heaven, leaves it all behind. For why? For us. He is the servant king. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we read, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty may become rich. The seed, the saviour, the servant, and finally he is the son. The prophesied son called out of Egypt. In chapter 2 of Matthew, out of Egypt I will call my son. But even before that, the promised one, the one we praise, is Emmanuel, God with us. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He gave his son. The king has come, Matthew shows us in Matthew 1 and 2, what we have celebrated all this season. He is the seed, he's the savior, he's the servant, and he's the son. And he has come so now we come into chapter three which tash read to us and where we start our series today chapter three might just be a page turn in your bible i don't know if you're reading from one of those massive bibles you the next paragraph down but chapter three is 28 years in real life the difference between chapter two and chapter three 28 years since this first announcement that the king has come so it's time to announce it again and this time it's john the baptist who does so let's have a look to see if it is the same king the same announcement we see in this chapter what do we say does john then announce the seed well yes he does John announces the seed on account of who he is. We heard some interesting details of John in the reading there, his whereabouts, his diet, his clothes. But we also see he was a prophet in the mold of the Old Testament prophets. I think it was James Dean, wasn't it, who tried to trick us in the Advent service when he asked who was the last Old Testament prophet and some of you flicked through your contents page of your Bible to see uh, who, who was the last, but we said it was John, John the Baptist. Even though we see him here in the book of Matthew, he held the prophet's role of declaring the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, of the seed. He was amongst those who would look forward to the fulfillment of this seed promise. But there had been a 400-year gap between these prophets. 400 years. So that must have stirred interest in itself. But John was also prophesied of. 
We read here, verse 3, of whom Isaiah had said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make way, make straight his path. The forerunner, John is, of the promised seed. The forerunner who comes before to make way, to prepare the way. So when John says the kingdom of heaven is at hand, a better translation might be near, the kingdom of heaven is near, or actually the kingdom of heaven is close, so close you'll be able to grab it. We and the first listeners then were supposed to see that this is the promise. It's all come in. The seed is here. That was his job to prepare the way. He says the king has come, the sea is the seed. But John goes on to teach, though, that the king will be the savior king. Where do I see that? Look with me at verse 11 and 12, where John compares his baptism and the baptism that Jesus will bring. What was John's baptism? Well, he says it was a call to repent and water baptism. And just like we emphasize at our baptism services, there is nothing mystical about baptism water. It is a symbol, an outward sign of an inward work. John was calling the people to repentance and baptizing them in water. But he knew he couldn't save him. He couldn't save them. It wasn't of him. His job, like the prophets of old, was calling the people to return to God. But he said, he who is coming, the king who is coming, he will save. His baptism is spirit and fire. He will come and transform lives by the power of God, the spirit. And also the fire that purifies, the holy fire of God. He is talking here of real inward cleansing. John said, he's mightier than me. I'm not even worthy to carry his shoes. The king is coming and he is going to save people. And then in this next section, in verse 13, we see that the king enters the fray. In a golden carriage, like in the coronation we saw last year? No. The king comes. The servant king comes quietly. And he asks John to baptize him. And that, that is how, just how Jesus had been for those 28 years, quietly on earth. If you stop and think about this one for too long, it will really start to hurt your head. God was on earth for 28 years, growing into, the man, growing into a man. And we know nothing about that time. We have one reported incident of the boy Jesus in the temple in another gospel, but that is it. It's not like he went round with a sash on this entire time for those 28 years, son of God, telling people whom he was. He was the servant king. 
He didn't once use the line, do you not know who I am as a teenage boy in school? I would have. He grew up just like everyone else. He did not abuse his power or knowledge. He didn't have a moment like in the Matilda movie, the original, you know, where she's in the kitchen when she's realized she's got these powers and she's making pancakes with everything flying around the room. Jesus didn't do that. It wasn't his time. Next week we'll come to the temptation passages of Jesus. But don't think that was the first ever time Jesus was tempted. He grew up just the way we have. He was a teenager. He was a young adult. He knew joy, but also loss and sadness. He humbly submitted to his father. He grew just like a normal human. Isaiah prophesied of the servant in Isaiah 49. He said, he made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow in his quiver. He hid me away. And he said, you are my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified. He became like us. He gave up the glories of heaven to live on earth, the servant king. And for 28 years, he quietly prepared for this ministry. Hebrews tells us of that. We read it when we were there. He was tempted like us in every way. But it adds, yet he did not sin. And there's my bonus S for you. He's not just the servant. He is the sinless servant. And it's that which causes John's reaction when Jesus comes down at this time to be baptized. And John says, no. No, John's baptism was for repentance of sin and Jesus didn't have any sin and John knew it. What is he saying in verse 14? Look at your Bibles. In verse 14, John says to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, Jesus, you don't need my water baptism. You don't need water baptism. But me, he says, I need your spirit and fire baptism. You don't need to repent, but I need your transforming power. Yet Jesus says, it is the way it must be. Why? Well, because even in this action, he is the servant king. In being baptized, he is again identifying with the people. He is not the distant deity, but he is the God who has become one of us, like his people, identifying with them. He represents his people in baptism. He doesn't need to be baptized, but they do. He sees this as submission to God's redemption plan. He said it is for fitting to fulfill all righteousness. He is the sinless servant king, the servant Isaiah sang of, who represents his people and bears their sins. The king has come. He's the seed, the savior, the sinless servant. And does John say he's the son? Well, he doesn't need to. As Jesus steps out of the water, the spirit of God descends on him and the voice from heaven comes and says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. 
The king is the son. And the voice of the father confirms that. He says, this is my son. He confirms that it's the son who has been appointed to carry out this work of redemption. He is the acceptable mediator between God and people. He is the only son. Matthew shouts it out in these first three chapters. The king has come. He is the seed. He is the savior. He is the servant. And he is the son. So what does it mean for them then that the king has come? What does it mean? Well, John's message is clear. He says you need to repent. Repent, turn away from your sin and turn back to God. Repent. And have you ever noticed, I'm not sure I completely have when reading this account, that the message was getting through. The passage starts, the people will come in out of the cities into the desert to be baptized by John. You might have previously thought or asked the question, why did Jesus need to be baptized? But perhaps the question we might not have asked very often is why are all these Jewish people getting baptized? There was no baptism in Judaism. There was ritual washing, but this isn't that. And there was a kind of baptism where a Gentile wanting to become a Jew could baptize, but that was something you did to yourself to become a Jew. But Jews didn't get baptized. Jews didn't get baptized. They were already in. But they weren't. And that's the point. And here in John's ministry, we see the people coming in their hordes, coming out. God was at work again. Been 400 years of silence, but God was at work again. The people were seeing their sin and they were coming repentant. And that's just the point. It wasn't because of who they are or where they came from. They'd seen that national identity wasn't enough to save them. And the people were pouring out, confessing sin, repenting, and coming to be baptized by John. Not all, though. We're briefly introduced to the Pharisees in this passage. Boy, we'll get to know them quite a bit as we go through this book. Uh, But John challenges them. He says to them, don't say that you're safe because you're children of Abraham. Beware, he says, because it's the fire of the savior that not only purifies but also the fire that burns up all that is not real too no they need to repent the message is one the king has come and repentance is needed and i said i might have been wrong in saying that we'd started this series today when we started a few weeks ago You could actually argue we started this series a few months ago when we were looking at the book of Nehemiah. There we saw the people return from Babylon, 
walls built, Jerusalem repopulated and covenant reinstated. But after the time, the people fell away again. And where did we leave chapter 13? We said at a depressing point, the very last action of the Old Testament, Nehemiah chapter 13, the people are backslid and the covenant is broken again. And we said back then, the message was to the people, you can't do it. They couldn't do it themselves. They couldn't keep the covenant. They couldn't make themselves right before God. They couldn't deal with their sin. They couldn't do it. They needed a savior. You see, Nehemiah showed that there was more to come. That the reformation, the transformation in Nehemiah 13 wasn't it. That the people needed a savior. That was Nehemiah chapter 13, 400 years, and then we get to where we are in the book of Matthew. And Matthew says, he's here. It's him. The Savior has come. God hadn't finished with his promises in the Old Testament. What about David's throne, the royal dynasty, the promised seed, the one who would reign forever? And Matthew says, he's here. Jesus, he's the promised one. He's the, come, the king who has come. He is the seed. He is the savior. He is the sinless servant. God himself come to save us. He is the righteous one who does the Father's will in whom he is well pleased. The message of Nehemiah 13 and the whole of the Old Testament is you can't do it. You can't do it, but he can. So repent and turn to him. He is the Davidic Messiah, the son of God, the servants whose mission it was and is to bear the sins of his people. He is the bringer of the new covenant, the one who says, I will remember their sins no more. I will be their God, and they will be my people. I'll put my word on their hearts. And that was the message of Matthew 1 to 3. And you know, all these years later, it's exactly the same message today. The king has come. The promised savior has come. He lived the life you couldn't and died the death that you deserve. So yes, you cannot do it doesn't matter what family you were born into, how many years you've attended church, or if people think you are generally a nice person. You cannot do it. You cannot make yourself right before God. And in any other situation, that would be a ridiculous thing to rejoice in if it was not for everything that Matthew tells us. You cannot do it, but he can.
The king has come and he is the promised savior. And that is why it's called Matthew's gospel. Gospel simply means good news. And if you've seen what Matthew is telling you, if you've seen that the king has come and he's come, the promised seed, your savior, he is the servant king, the son of God, who left it all to save you, then this is good news. It's great news. And if you've received this, then rejoice afresh in this good news today. Rejoice in your Savior, King, who has done it for you. And if you haven't seen this before, if you haven't seen Jesus Christ till now, if you haven't seen your sin, your need for a Savior till now, well, it's good news for you too. If you come, the message is still the same that it was that John gave back then. Repent. The king has come and you can come to him today. Turn away from your sin and come to Jesus. God's promised seed. When it all went wrong, when sin came, when we were torn apart from God when there was no way back. God sent his son into the world to die on a cross, to live the life we could not and die the death we should, to take punishment on himself. The wrath of God upon him so that instead of punishment and pain, we could know forgiveness of sin, peace with God, and the sure hope of eternity with him forever. The servant king came and died in our place, God himself, so that we could know forgiveness and friendship with God. It's wonderful news. It's great news if you come to him today. The king has come. Rejoice in that fact today. Take some time to respond. If Jesus is your king, then as we've been singing again this morning, you want to say, Jesus, take your rightful place. Our prayer this year is that we would know Jesus more, but not in our head knowledge, but this intimate knowledge, a love that we would grow in love and knowledge of him. So if you are his this morning, pray that you would grow in love of our seed, saviour, servant, son, king. And if you've never come to that king before, then do so this morning. Call on the name of the Lord. Whoever, and he promises, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, he will hear. And he still saves today.